of creation, Genesis 1. And what Moses does here in Genesis 2 is he sort of zooms into creation in a lot of ways. And so last week was kind of this uh, really distant kind of big overview of all of creation. And now like a microscope, Moses zooms in to specifically look at humanity and how we interact with God. In fact, let's go ahead and kick it off in verse 4 because that gives a couple of hints to us. So Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in that day or in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So a couple of things about this verse. First of all, what you see is that once again, it's showing that God is very purposeful. If you remember last week, we showed you all of the structures and the numbers and the word plays that go out where God was trying to communicate to his people, hey, I'm not a chaotic God. I I don't do things willy-nilly. Like I, I know what I'm doing. I'm very purposeful in creation. And even here, we actually have that. Uh, what you have is a chiasm that once again happens, and we're not going to go through all of the structure like we did last week, but you see there it says uh, heavens, earth, and then created, and then in the next portion of that verse it says made, earth, and then heavens. You see that there? It's called a chiasm, so A, B, C, and then C, B, A, and so what it's doing is showing that, hey, God is structured, he's organized, he knows what he's doing, God's purposeful, not chaotic, but direct. Because of that, we can trust God. We can trust that he knows what he's doing, even in the darkness that kind of surrounds us, we can trust his character and who he is. Furthermore, throughout all of scripture, what you actually see is this phrase, heavens and the earth. If you're somewhat familiar with scripture, you know that that phrase happens over and over and over again, heavens and earth, heavens and earth. In fact, the very Bible, the very first verse of the Bible opens with that verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? But here, it actually reverses it, and it says the earth and the heavens. You notice that? You see how it does that? There's the only time in all the scripture that it actually reverses the order of those words. And the reason why is because in Genesis chapter 1, we are getting the perspective as if we almost are in heaven. So we're looking at God's creation kind of from up here, from above, and we're seeing everything that God is doing. And we're seeing how he's interacting and the purpose that he's creating it with, etc. But then this week, we're actually gaining a perspective as if we are here on earth. It's as if we are there in the garden and we're looking up at God and saying, God, why did you create this? What are you doing? What are your purposes? What are your intentions? And so that's the question we're going to answer today. Why did God create all of this? Why did God create particularly humanity and what is our role in how we interact with God? So our vantage point has changed from up here to down here looking up at God. And so you tracking with that? That makes sense? Okay, so that's the view. That's what we're looking at today. So here we go. Genesis 2, starting verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
Once again, verse 5, God is showing structure. There was no rain on the ground and no man to work the ground. And so rain is kind of God's part and working the ground is sort of man's part. So man is going to co-labor with God in his creation. As God is creating things, he's going to place man to be a part of that creation and to interact with him. And so man isn't around. And so God doesn't cause it to rain so that the uh, uh, garden, the fields don't end up looking like my backyard chaotic with no man to work it, right? That's why this next baby needs to be a boy, okay? That's why God created man. I'm just kidding, right? But you see there, God's being very, very purposeful. So notice what God does here is that God is being purposeful. He's being intentional. And then it says that he forms man and he breathes into him the breath of life. Do you see it there in verse 7? He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, once again, in chapter 1, verse 26, there's this showing that God is trying to be intimate. He's trying to be uh, connected. He's trying to love on his creation, mainly humanity. And what we see here is this word for form, it's always used with a potter and clay. Okay, and so as the potter is sitting there and molding and crafting and and shaping the clay, this is what God is doing to us. You can think about it like this, okay? We, we have a lot of artists in here, right? So this thing about like this, if you are an artist and you like creating things, if you tell somebody, hey, can you go make this, let's say, painting for me? Can you go make this? Now, you're going to care about it, right? Because it was your idea and you said, hey, can we go make this? And you kind of tell them. Maybe they do it a little bit and you say, ah, that was really good, but can you change these couple of things? Like, you're going to be connected to your uh, idea, to your creation a little bit because you spoke, you directed it, and then it came out to be. But if you made it yourself, if you crafted the edges and and molded the center and pressed, and maybe even if you did a few artistic things that probably only you know about your creation, you'd be more intimate with it, wouldn't you? You would care about it more. You would love it more. Not that you wouldn't love this other piece of creation, but, but this one, the one that you created, you would be connected to. Well, Genesis 1 tells us that God speaks all the rest of creation into existence. Let there be, let there be. And he's just talking and then it's going forth. It's doing what God has ordered it to do. But man, he forms. He gets down like a potter in clay and he's crafting. There's something unique. There's something special. Psalm 139 says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's something unique about every single one of us. You admire, you take joy over, you love what you have crafted. And scripture says that God has crafted us. Not just Adam and Eve, but the Psalms would tell us all of humanity are knit together in our mother's womb. God formed us. In fact, he even breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. If I said to somebody, hey, come here, let me breathe into your nostrils, <laughs> I would get fired, right? <laughs> like, even if it was my own wife, because that's awkward, isn't it, right? Like, like, that's a weird thing to do, but he gets so close to us that it's almost uncomfortable, so intimate, so connected. In fact, think about where your nostrils are placed. For a moment, he gets below us. And he breathes up into us. He serves us. He humbles himself to create mankind. God loves his creation. God created us to be intimate with him. He forms, he crafts friends. This is an intimate thing. 
And so you see this idea, point one, is that God wants to be intimate with his creation. God has designed us. The reason that you were created, the reason why humanity exists, one of them is that God wants to be intimate, be in relationship with you. I remember when I was in Colorado several years ago, and I was sitting down on literally like the most picturesque of scenes that I've ever been around, okay? And so I'm sitting on this like rock, which 99% of the times is really uncomfortable, but it was like the Lord came before I went and like carved out a seat just for me, right? Like it was fit perfectly, okay? And I'm sitting there and I'm looking and there were animals like deers and squirrels were running around. They're like all eating off the ground, right? I see a chipmunk actually jumped into a girl's backpack, took a like fig newton and then ran away. No joke, I'm not even lying about that. So it was like a hood uh, chipmunk, all right? And so there are like birds flying around, okay? There's all this creation. I'm literally sitting around this mountain range that dips down into this lake, and it's about 75 degrees out, but there's still snow on the mountains because we're up really high, and it's melting into this lake that's like, looks like nobody's ever even looked at the lake before. It's so blue, okay? And everything, I mean, it's like almost every aspect of creation. It was like partly cloudy, but the sun was coming through. It was perfect, okay? And I'm sitting there, and I said, I mean, I was like, I felt connected to God. You know how uh, nature does that for you sometimes, and I actually kind of hate nature, and I still felt very, very connected to God there. And I said, God, thank you that your fingerprints are on everything that you've made, that we can see you. And I felt like God very clearly said to me, my fingerprints are on none of this. It's only on you. And I start like bawling, you know, like God speaks to your heart and you lose it. So I'm crying for like 10 minutes and I start seeing these people walking around this same lake. I think they are more beautiful than all of this scenery. All of this scenery combined is a reflection of God and his greatness. The mountains in their grandeur, the lake and its beauty, the birds, the animals, the sun, the sky. All of these things do uh, show us something about God, but man... We were created to be intimate with God. In his image and likeness, the mountain isn't like God. You are. Despite us being the only ones that reject God and his will. The mountains didn't say, no, skip that. I'm going to be a, a valley. Right? Watch me sink down. <laughs> right? Like that, that's not what happened. But man did that to God. Right? Yet and still, we are beautiful. God loves us. And so it's trying to highlight this intimacy. Now, you may say, wait a minute. Wasn't that the point last week, too, that God desires to be intimate with us? Yes, good memory, okay? That was the point last week. Why does Genesis then reemphasize this? Because Genesis knows that we don't always feel that, do we? Like, we feel like there's a disconnect. We feel like we can't be intimate with the God of the universe. And so Genesis is trying to show right off the bat of the whole scripture that God created you for intimacy, to be known by God and for you to know him, to love him, that he loves you and he wants to be connected to you. In fact, this is the beautiful thing. I would even say that if you're wrestling with Christianity or if you're new to the faith, man, this is the crux of Christianity. It's not about your good works. It's not about keeping a list of rules. It's not about trying to perform for God or, or serve him in some way. Man, praise the Lord. When we come to Jesus, those things turn true and our hearts do change and we do good works. But listen, that's not the crux of Christianity. The crux is God wants a relationship with you. Man, us, 
this fallen, broken mess that we find ourselves in, yet God created us to be connected to us. He loves you. He knows things about you that you don't even know about yourself because he created you. He created you for intimacy. God loves you. And so this is what it means to follow God. When we say, man, nothing else satisfies. I want to know you, God. I want to be connected with you, God. That's the crux of Christianity. So the Bible immediately opens up with, you were designed for intimacy with God. Man, that should do something to your heart. But you also feel the void at times because we live in a Genesis 3, not a Genesis 2 world. Okay, more on that in a second. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made, Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. More on verse 9 next week. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gehom. It is uh, the one that, I'm sorry, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Okay, what is this saying to us? Well, the garden wasn't like your grandmother's garden in her backyard, right? It was likely really, really, really big and really, really, really beautiful. God created this self-sustaining garden for man to be entered into, or the word that we often use is paradise. It's this beautiful thing. Keep reading, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the knowledge, or but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Once again, more on the specific trees next week. But man is working in the garden. God placed man there to work the ground, to keep the ground, okay? What is that telling us? Well, it's telling us that work is not a product of the fall. Right? In fact, Genesis 1, God is working over and over and over again. And so man uh, was created to work. Work is not a bad thing, but rather work is actually a good thing. In fact, we have reason to believe that there's even going to be work in heaven. Some are like, dang, do I really want to go there? <laughs> All right. But here's the thing. We feel this angst with work because it often produces thorns and thistles, Genesis 3 world. But in Genesis 2, God made Adam specifically to do this job intentionally. And so Adam was probably coming alive as he was doing this job for God, co-laboring with God in his creation. Adam was made with purpose to work. He knew what he was supposed to be doing and he walked in that calling. Okay. Now, I don't want to get into this too much because in community groups this week, that's actually what we're going to go over is this idea of work and, and why did God create us to work? And so if you're not involved in a group, I would love to see you get involved in a group. Mark that on your card. We'd love to get you involved. So we're not going to dive as deep as we probably could in this, but point two is, is that God created you with purpose. Why were you created? Why do you exist? Well, God created you with purpose. So point one, to know him to be intimate with him, to love him, point two, with purpose. In other words, you're not some random accident or you're not a mistake, okay? Like, God didn't put you in the oven 
go to the bathroom, then forget you were in the oven, and then smell something burning and go, oops, <laughs> all right? Like, that's not what happened to you. Unfortunately, many of us feel like that. Many of us feel like, God, why am I here on earth? What are you doing? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything, right? But we see his intentionality in creating Adam. He gave Adam purpose. He gave him value. He gave him meaning. Like Adam wasn't just there kind of wandering around eating berries off of a tree, right? Like sitting around twiddling his thumbs. Hey, what am I supposed to be doing? No, Adam knew exactly what he was supposed to do because God created him for that very purpose. He designed him to help. He was created to be a part of God's creation, active, co-laboring with God. In fact, in the New Testament, it calls us co-laborers again. Here's another place where the theme runs throughout scripture, Right now, once you become a believer in Christ, you co-labor with him in redeeming the world or in recreating the world. Adam, in a lot of ways, was helping in the creation of the world. He was uh, uh, tilling the ground and, and pruning the trees, and he was naming the animals. He was active in creation. And in the New Testament, we get to be active in the new creation. And the recreation of the world is men and women are born again and as God redeems all things to himself. But Adam had purpose. He had meaning. He had value. So listen to me. You are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. God created you for a very specific intention, design. And man, maybe you don't know what that is yet, and that's okay, because Moses and Abraham, great patriarchs of the faith, man, they were 70, 80 before they figured out. And so just because you don't know right now, but... Do know that you were created intentionally. God's not willy-nilly. He's not chaotic. He created you for a purpose, for a reason, for intimacy and purpose, okay? Let's keep reading the rest of our text. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was, uh, not, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, the not good there in verse 18 is extremely emphatic in the Hebrew, okay? In other words, if we were pinning this, we would write not good in like all caps or something like that. Italicize, underline it. We're trying to draw attention to this. Now, in chapter one, we see this phrase, it was good, it was good, it was good, seven times, in fact. And this is the first time where we see that something is not good. And Adam said it's not good for man to be alone. And so really quickly, by the way, uh, Somewhat of a side point, but I do want to hit on this so it doesn't distract us, okay? We don't have time to go into the male-female relationship, why God created it in that way. But I do want to say that that word helper is not a lesser word the way that some people would say that. In fact, the people that kind of say that don't have a good understanding of Scripture because in the Old Testament, the word helper is used 19 times. 16 times it's used about God. 
And so the female shares the same name that God himself gives himself, that he is our helper. He's there for us. And obviously God is over us, right? And so in a lot of ways, it's trying to show this honor in the woman. In fact, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is called our what? Helper, that's one of the names that we have given. And so uh, what, whatever uh, word that's there, when people try to convolute it and say, ah, oh, like the woman's lesser or something like that, that's just not true in Scripture. She's given the same name that God himself is given, just as Adam is given a very similar name to God. What it's showing is both of them were created in the image and likeness of God. They are co-heirs. The New Testament would say they both receive the same reward, the same grace of life. Okay, and so she's a helper, not inadequate, not lesser, but equal. In fact, Matthew Henry uh, has this famous quote that says, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And this is true. This is what God is showing in this creation. This too shows a sense of intimacy, uh, of connection, that God who formed man now in the exact same way, he forms, he crafts, he, he molds a woman. Now there's a ton of play on the Hebrew word here to try to show equality and beauty and all this stuff. But what I want us to focus on is it's not just a relationship with God that God designed us to have. Adam had God. Adam was walking around in the garden with God. But he says, hey, it's still not good for man to be alone. And so he created a helper. And so point three, God created us for intimacy with others or relationship. This also didn't come after the fall or something crazy. This came before the fall. This uh, creation, this earned, uh, longing, this urging that we feel in our heart, this was intended, this was created by God. We are designed to be connected with one another, right? Why? Well, God himself exists in relationship, doesn't he? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, yet one God, all interacting with each other, all in extreme intimacy. God himself is a relational being, and so he has made you to be a relational people. Now, I want to say this, okay, single people, this passage is not explicitly talking about marriage, or I'm sorry, it's not uh, only talking about marriage. It is explicitly talking about marriage because... How else are you going to reproduce the world, right? And so there's a man and a woman there to begin that process of, 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 of uh, multiplying and filling the earth, okay? But there are all these ideas of the types of relationships that God has created us to have all throughout the scriptures. In fact, I would argue that every single human being was created to need, to desire, to long for, to want to have four relationships in particular. Number one is to have a marital type of relationship or marriage relationship. Another one is a friendship the third one is a familial or family relationship. And the fourth one is the relationship with the divine, with God. Now, we already talked about the last one with the divine. But I think that each of us craves these relationships in a lot of ways that it feels uh, uh, hurtful. It feels painful. We feel a void when we don't have some of these relationships. We desire marriage if we're single. And so we long for it. And there's this desire for it. We look for it. We think about it often. It's on our hearts. Or maybe we don't don't have the best of friends or maybe we're new in a city and we feel disconnected from friendship and we desire friendship 
Or maybe we had an absent father or an abusive brother or something like that, and we long for this familial relationship. Everyone wants to have a good dad and mom. Or if you're married, you want to have children to create this family. Why? Because God designed us, produced us to have relationships with one another because he is a relational God. And so we see relationships in general are something that God has created for. And it is not good. There is a lack if we're missing some of these relationships. It feels that way, right? There's this desire, and I would argue it's a godly desire. A lot of times in the church, we get really confused about what to do when people are lacking some of these things. Like if you're single, there's this idea of like, oh, just be content, and then that's it, Right? Maybe if you're content, then you can reverse psychologize God, then he'll give you a husband or a wife, right? Like that actually works, okay, right? But there's this longing, there's this desire. Listen, I would argue from the beginning of Genesis, you were created to have that. This is a good thing. It's a product of the fall that we don't have these relationships holistically, but there is this design. In fact, man's first words that we see in all of scripture, remember, man hasn't talked yet. We see that he named animals and stuff, but we don't see him speaking. His first words are what? To his wife, and what are they? If you have a physical Bible, you can see this. They're poetry. Just like God's first words to man is poetry, which we said last week shows expression, love, intimacy. So man's first words that we see speaking are poetry about his wife. In other words, he felt connected. He came alive. It was like this is who God has designed him to be. He's connected to God. He has a job and a purpose, and he's connected to others, and now he's alive, and he's writing poetry, Right? I guess that's what you do when you come alive, right? You write poetry, you feel, right? You feel, you know what God's doing, you feel what God's doing. So here's our creation, intimacy with the Almighty, purpose, value, meaning, direction, intention, and then connection with others. This is why you were created. Verse 25 gives us a quick hint into everything that's going on right there. In fact, it's the last verse that we see before the fall in Genesis 3. It says that they were naked and unashamed. Now, that last verse isn't saying that, like, Adam and Eve were running around with no clothes on. They were just cool with it, right? Like, woohoo, look at us, right? That's not what was going on, okay, though they were probably literally naked. But what it's showing is this expression of true freedom. There's no shackles There's nothing holding them back. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Adam and Eve had no shame. They were fully alive. They were what God had intended for. They knew their purpose. They had jobs. They knew that they were connected to one another. There was no sin. They knew they were connected with God. They were talking to God, being intimate with God. They were completely innocent. Plus, being naked is a good way to follow through with the creation mandate of being fruitful and multiplying, okay? Just saying. If you're a kid, you can ask your parents what that means later. All right? But we know that that isn't true for us anymore. It's not just that we have clothes on in here. It's not what it's saying. But we do feel shame now. We do feel purposeless sometimes or like we lack meaning. Or maybe we're single And we desire marital intimacy, but at some fault, maybe our own, maybe others, maybe it's nothing, it's just the world that God has created us in, we don't have that. Or maybe we didn't have a dad around us, 
right? Maybe our dad died, which death was not a part of creation. Or maybe he just left because he was passive or lazy. Or maybe some other complication that we don't know, but we long for that. Or maybe we long for friendship and we have some acquaintances a little bit, but we know there's something in our heart urging us that there's something more. Maybe we don't know what we're supposed to do and we're stuck in a job that we hate and Monday mornings are a drag and all week we're trying to figure out, God, why am I here? Why have you made me? Maybe there's a disconnect between our relationship with God. We feel this fracture. We feel like every time we come to God, there are speed bumps that we hit and it slows us down and we aren't connected the way that we were created. We don't live in Genesis 2. We live in Genesis 3. We're all of the reason of creation, all of the purpose that we feel, all of that feels fractured because it is. All of us are fallen. All of us sin and listen, all of us are sinned against. And so sometimes it's not even our own fault why we don't have some of these things. It's other people's or the world around us. But we live in this fracture. And so now in our work, we don't give of ourselves selflessly and try to help others, which is why we were created but we do it selfishly or just trying to promote ourselves. We, we even think relationally not to serve and love and to give ourselves, but to take and take relationally. We even think of our relationship with God like that rather than serving him and loving him, though he has done everything for us. We still kind of say, God, what have you done for me today? Like the cross wasn't enough, like creation wasn't enough, like the breath in our lungs isn't enough. Man, we're selfish, we're, 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 we're inward thinking, we're all messed up. There's this brokenness around us. And friends, this is why we have to understand the gospel. This is why Genesis 2 only makes sense if we understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and what Jesus has done for us. See, Jesus understands the brokenness that you feel completely and fully. In fact, 19 million times more than we could ever understand, Jesus understands them. Okay, so let's take the relationship aspect. We said there are four relationships, right? Think about even at the cross of Christ. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he looks down at his mother and he transfers this relationship between his mother and John. And he then calls her woman. And all of his brothers and sisters don't believe him. Jesus at the cross had a broken familial relational bond. Jesus felt that pain of what it means to have everybody in your family not believe in you, to be deserted by them, and your own mother watching her son be killed for something that he did not do. There was a fracture there. All of his friends left him. All the disciples, even though he had done nothing but serve them and serve them and serve them. Peter, the valiant disciple who said, I'll never deny you, Lord. Six hours later, is denying him to a slave girl. Not, not a high ruler, this little girl. Peter, I, I don't know him. I don't know him, right? Jesus felt a fractured friendship bond. Jesus felt a fractured marital bond because it was for the church that he was dying in the first place. He did not have the bride yet. In fact, he was paying for the sin of the bride, me and you. He was taking on the wrath of God for us. There was a marital break there. He did not have the relationship that he was intended to have because of our fault yet. He's paying for our sin. Jesus feels what it's like to be single because he's single right there. He's not married to his bride yet. And Jesus feels what it's like to be fractured in his relationship with God because he screams out at the Almighty, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
left me. Where are we at? How is this relationship? Jesus knows what it's like. He knows you in your suffering, friends. He knows what it feels like to not have that. He knows Jesus was there. He paid for it. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus suffers all these things. He's literally paying for us. The creator of all creation is being killed by his creation. The very creation whose breath he's sustaining, he's being killed by them so that he can redeem them, so that he can bring them back to himself. Friends, in Christ, Genesis 2 begins to get restored. It begins to get restored. Now, for sure, we still live in Genesis 3, and so we don't fully feel the full effects. But listen, friends, in the church, we can begin to create this. And so maybe you don't have a father. Well, guess what? You now have God the Father as your father, who is a better father than all the fathers that have ever existed combined in all of their goodness. You have that father over you. Maybe you are lacking in friendship. Friends, Jesus calls you his friends. Maybe you are lacking in marriage. Friends, you are wed to Christ, the bride of Jesus. One day you will be married to him and you're engaged to him right now if you're a believer. You're just planning the wedding ceremony, which is the worst part of marriage. (laughs) You're there, connected. And you obviously have a connection, a relationship with God because Jesus himself is God, draws us in and draws you in. Friends, all of the brokenness that we experience because of Genesis 3, we can go back to a Genesis 2 reality. And one day the truth is, is every Christian who's professed faith in Jesus, we get to go back to this even more fully because it gets finished And as we read this week in our Bible reading plan, the new creation comes, a new heaven and a new earth, and even the church can now begin to be that with one another. Brothers and sisters, spiritual fathers and mothers, spiritual children, we have that with one another. And so maybe God is challenging you, encouraging you, trying to push you to begin to gain that with one another. Friends, do that. Open yourself up for relationships with God and with the church. Listen, God knows that you're lacking, so he turns into be all things for you so that you will be lacking nothing in him. This is a beautiful thing. I want you to think for a second, even about the beauty of how all of this carries over, right? Think about Genesis 2 again, the picture in Genesis 2 says that Adam is alone, and so God puts him into a deep sleep, and out of his side brings the woman to him to make uh, her his own and to be connected, and he sings over her, and then they're both naked and unashamed. you want to see the crazy unity throughout all the Bible? Ephesians 5 says that marriage represents Christ in the church. A man shall leave his father, hold fast to his wife. Well, Jesus left the Father in heaven, and he came down onto earth to begin to pursue his bride, And he doesn't have her yet. And so he goes into a deep sleep called death. And out of his side where the spear is stabbed comes out the blood in the water in which the New Testament says God uses to form or to make or to craft the church. Jesus' wife comes out of his side. And when he awakens or resurrects, he looks upon her and God brings the wife to Jesus. And he says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Jesus identifies himself with you. He sings over you. And one day you and him will be both completely naked and not ashamed. You will feel full connection and full intimacy with God. Genesis 2 is nothing more than a picture of what happens at the cross of Jesus. And you get that intimacy with God through belief in him. This is a beautiful thing. 
Scripture screams out that you were supposed to be connected to the Almighty Father, to Jesus Christ the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. This is why we were created. Now we have purpose, meaning, value, and the ability to connect with one another. Friends, man, the Bible is so freaking good. <laughs> so good. This is our intention. And so I would encourage you even today, man, if you don't know Jesus, if you're wrestling your relationship with God, this is what you were designed for. Connection with one another purpose, meaning, value in life, and connection with the God of the world. And man, even if you are a believer, we know we struggle with this. Maybe we neglect to open ourselves up to friends. Maybe we uh, are keeping distance between us and another, not reconciling these relationships. Maybe our relationship with God feels severed friends in the gospel. You can have those things fully. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. This is what you were created for. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. All of this, everything, Jesus, this points back to you, Christ, and the gospel. Lord, I am an unworthy man. We are unworthy men and women. We do not deserve to know you, God, but you have made yourself known. Lord, forgive us. We have sinned against you. Lord, heal us. We have been sinned against. We live in a Genesis 3 world. You know that you experienced it to the fullest, Jesus. Man, thank you for being a high priest who does not uh, uh, absent or distant from our suffering. You understand our suffering, for you suffered in every way, yet without sin. And now we can see this and know you. God, please help us to do that, Lord. God, I pray even today, even right now, Holy Spirit, those who are wrestling in their relationship with you, that you would draw them, draw them, God. Help us to be submissive, to open our heart and our hands to you and say, Lord, I am yours. Lord, help us all to do that, Jesus. And then, Lord, give us purpose, give us value, give us meaning, help us to see what you created us to do and give us connection with one another. Help us to come alive, Jesus. Thank you that we were not created to be like little robots running around, just doing your bidding. But you created us to be alive. Help us to be alive in you. Praise in your beautiful name. Amen. Um, every week uh, we have communion at three or four different stations around the room. So if you're a believer, that's a great time for us to remember the cross of Christ that we just talked about. That at the cross, Jesus prepared a way for us to be connected with him. And so what you do is you take a piece of that bread and rip it off, representing his body, which was shed for you. And you dip it in the juice, which represents the blood that was spilled out, the very blood that purchased his bride, the church, us. And so, man, at any point during these three songs, if you're a believer, please feel free to go take communion. Remember God at that moment. If you're not a Christian, we'd encourage you not to take that. It's not awkward to not take that. We're glad that you're here, okay? But maybe even today, for the first time, you placed your faith in Jesus. You said, God, I want to know you. Then one of your first acts as a believer can be that of communion. That's cool. Remember what just happened for you 30 seconds ago and rejoice with God in that. We're also going to have our ushers come forward and do this morning's tithes and offerings.
If you're a guest, don't feel obligated to give. That's not what this is about. We give to try to uh, continue the mission of the church and to worship Jesus with our gifts. And so if we give to that end, please drop your communication cards in. Um, And as the basket is passing us by, I would love for us to just real quick take a moment. Maybe we need to confess sin. Maybe we need to ask for God's presence. Maybe we need to meditate on the goodness of who he is. But just take a few moments to think about the Lord before we stand up and, and end our service in singing. Think about his goodness. Ask for his grace and mercy. Prepare our hearts to, to finish singing out to him for who he is, for he is worthy of our worship. Love you guys.